0: hello and welcome to walking and talking a podcast by the line in this four-part series we take you on a journey along the lines route visiting greenwich peninsula the royal docks cody dock and queen elizabeth olympic park in these conversations you'll be joined by artists creatives and members of the local community who will discuss themes and ideas that relate to the line and the areas that it connects. Whether you're on the route or somewhere else in the world, we hope you enjoy discovering more about the line and its context.
1: My name is Nadine Pereira from the birdwatching club Flock Together. I'm with Ben Bishop of Cody Dock in Newham, and we're about to go on a walk along the River Lee. The line route runs between Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park and the O2, following the waterways and the line of the Greenwich Meridian. We're walking a stretch of that route today between Cody Dock and Three Mills. Along that route, you could
2: spot a bird that you might not have seen before, or you could engage with an art piece that has a story that might connect to you. Who are you? What do you do? (laughs) My name's Ben Bishop, and I'm the Citizen Science and Environment Manager at Cody Dock. It's just a space that was left forgotten and now being reopened and reconnecting with the walking routes to different places. I work with the local community and school groups to observe the wildlife along this stretch of river and hopefully influence the developments that are starting to come up to ensure that their um, projects are not having detrimental impacts on the wildlife.
1: I love London, it's my home. East London particularly is is where I was born, is where I was raised. We're in the Docklands, like a working class area. So walking along this stretch of river, I'm hearing the all too familiar clanging of the diggers. I'm seeing the familiar uh, silhouette of warehouses. But then I am seeing greenery, hearing the sounds of the birds uh, the whiz of the bees as they go past you, the smell of the rosemary bushes. I've never been to Cody Dock before. It's just a world away from the chaos that we live every single day in this like capitalist uh, structure, like racing hundred miles to nowhere. Um, as soon as I entered Cody Dock, I felt the need to slow down and observe and appreciate everything around me. I think that's just an invaluable platform that provides free therapy for anybody who chooses to engage with it, which is why it's so important, the work that Ben and everyone else does here. And, of course, it's close to home, you know, like really amazing that there are people doing this kind of work in the area, man. Absolutely, it's amazing. Working along this part of the river, which is really sort of newly
2: rediscovered by, you know developers the line art trail which we um, work with really closely you know we work with like a thousand volunteers a year on average so that's like a thousand people coming through and getting involved in the projects there's a lot of different minds it's so inspiring to see how keen and passionate people are about protecting their local area in terms of like biodiversity 40,000 homes are going to sort of spring up along this river in the next Twenty odd years. We're not just here to go. Oh, this is what we we think is good. It's actually what do people want. We want to be inspired by the communities that exist here and make sure that they're inspiring the communities that come in the future. So there's that cross pollination of ideas and what people want out of an area.
1: So yeah, I've got obviously I've got family very local here. Um, I've grown up here. You know, typically I wouldn't I wouldn't think such a place exists in In this area, you know, I always think of the Docklands as to be some really, really industrial, fast developing place, you know. But here we are, we've got like a flock of starlings uh, flying above, you know. I can hear wrens, I can see loads of insects, loads of plants, you know, like it's absolutely beautiful. And it just goes to show that if given the space, if given the time and the love, like nature will find a way. Behind us the River Lee that we're going to reflect
2: on on this walk is a tidal river and it's connected to the Thames so just about a mile and a half downstream you've got the tidal thames and we get seals that swim up here frequently and actually saw a seal yesterday which was pretty cool i forgot to tell anyone because i was too busy watching it but um yeah it's pretty amazing and it has like a five meter drop every day so we're seeing the tide coming up now but as it falls you can start to see just along these reed beds here this amazing intertidal foreshore which is a place where wading birds can come um and Sort of, even though it is such a sort of industrial stretch of river, you do get birds that you would see on the coast or further out in the Thames estuary coming up here occasionally. So there's opportunities that are arising for wildlife. We see the this part of the river as a, an example to push forward of rewilding and actually how you can encourage more biodiversity how you can create new habitats because you know so many years ago it was just a sort of sewage system that was just coming out you know the river has massively improved and as the river improves hopefully that means that more wildlife can take take a home here (laughs) Yeah, should we just have a walk up here? Just as we come past the reed bed, so there's like a really big meander that obviously if this wasn't a urbanized river, it probably would have cut off and created an oxbow lake. But um, what we have now is a really well-established bit of reed bed that we can't see, but is behind this sort of stack of woods. And it would have been here before any of these sites were built. So probably would have been part of what is was once a massive marshland that would have been all the way up to Stratford and the Olympic Park. So one, it has like amazing value because of how old it is, but also it's now sort of still creating that micro habitat in this area so there are birds that come here in the summer that will breed in the reed beds so we've got reed warblers and sometimes we get sedge warblers as well and that's the sort of idea with the the urban ecosystem is like the small pockets
1: of green space that can really provide immeasurable value and that's that's kind of how london exists isn't it i mean i think by eu definition london is a is a forest because over 40 percent of its Uh, landmass is is green space but it's just lots and lots of fragmented networks so it's exactly right as you say it's so important to no matter how small it is to maintain and and care for these patches of natural life. Just in front of us which is why
2: I want to stop here is this sort of lovely native wooded area with like silver birch and hawthorn Um, and you get some amazing songbirds in here the relaxing of the maintenance of the hedgerows and increasing the dense Um, foliage that can exist you know if you don't cut things too much um, has provided nesting points for them so we've actually had linnets breeding the last two years which are a red listed species and they're obviously here now foraging on the berries and the nuts that are starting to come out in the autumn usually uh, late summer to autumn we get chif chaffs along here and I've just started to hear them again oh grey (laughs) wagtail
1: oh two (laughs) I saw my the first long-tailed tip just now. That I, First, I've seen in months. The berries are going to provide lots and lots of food for the birds that are staying here over the winter. And, you know, you've been here for a number of years. It gets cold in Newham over the winter, you know. I'm really a big fan of what you say about the natural hedgerow, letting the hedge grow wild because they provide better homes uh, and they don't need to look like the human idea of pretty.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, talk to me about Flop Together and what you've been doing
1: We started um, during the height of like the BLM movement and all the George Floyd stuff that was going on and stuff. And we just realized that our our community was in great need, you know, of a safe space, you know, to exist because we were just under attack on all fronts and everybody was going through a collective trauma at that time, you know, and um, so we started doing it. And I think on the first walk, we had like 15 people, if that. And then month after month after month uh, just became bigger and bigger and bigger. and Now we're easily like averaging about 75, 80 people on the walk, you know, which is sometimes not ideal for birding. But, um, um, but a huge part of what we do is recording the species that we find and then encouraging everybody in attendance to log these sightings on the BTO website, the British Trust for Ornithology Bird Track, because... If you provide a sufficient data bank, which shows this site actually has significant ecological value, um, it's much harder for somebody to just say, "Oh, I want to build a rubbish block of flats on here," you know. Like, um, so that's a big, big, big part of what we do: just highlighting the importance of these green spaces ecologically and socially and mentally and spiritually, but also giving instilling the confidence in people to come to these spaces and engage with them because a lot of people unfortunately don't know how to interact with these spaces or certainly, particularly as people of color, there are lots of obstacles and, and roadblocks in our way. And really what we do is try to remove these and show that we can interact with these spaces as well because nature is for everybody. Um, it's not just for one group of people and um, the benefits are free. From my experience working with schools like in, a, in a city,
2: going outside is not something that you know is like encouraged as much i suppose and you know i've had groups where you know young people as like as old as like 16 17 they won't sit on the grass and it's like uh, the grass is fine <laughs> it's a, it's an amazing thing to sit on um, and yeah i mean obviously it comes with time and experience that you you know become more connected with
1: nature if we want a long-term change we need to change the focus on what's um, important for people, and any long-term change you wish to instill, uh, children are critical to that. The younger generation is critical to that. I think
2: that obviously there's maybe been a failure in the in the cities to
1: encourage that within our young people. You know, I, I've I've have experience working in schools as well, like doing bird stuff, but also doing like PU, and. Um, it goes a very, very, very long way. The teachers that want to just do a little bit more um, and, and do the quirky nature sessions in the playground, in the garden area of the playground, etc. Like, it's so important. And, you know, like, as you know how life goes, man, you don't know which moment is going to catch with you and, and change your life. You know, when I think about my own life, I wasn't in school very much at all. And this meant that I was sitting in green spaces like this, funnily enough, on my own a lot while all my friends were in school. And one day, a green woodpecker just landed in front of me. And from there, I was hooked. I was like, wow, this is incredible, you know. I was only used to seeing, like, an animated character uh, (laughs) as a woodpecker. And that moment turned out to be the moment I became obsessed with, with birds. So I actually have lots of fond bird memories and wildlife memories in this area, so many, so many. Like, I remember read, like grabbing my first bird book when I was about 15 and just flicking through it, becoming familiar with the names and the images of the birds, and then all of a sudden you'd be walking along the road and be like, oh, my God, that's that. And it's like, you know, when you see a footballer on TV all the time and then all of a sudden you see him walking down the road, you're like, oh... Snap, that's 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 my man, you know. And I get the same feeling when I see a bird, especially for the first time, you know. Like, I'm like, oh my god, I've seen you just on pages in 2D all the time. You're so much more beautiful in real life. Such a rush, and it's also about going out into a green space, being still, and seeing what comes your way. That's also another huge reason I love bird watching as well, because your mind isn't too fixated on the future or the past and you're not filled with anxiety, you're just totally letting go and being present in that moment and just succumbing to nature and you're enjoying that moment on nature's terms and not on your own terms or society's terms for once. Um, I also
2: think another really cool thing about it is when you're doing it with other people who haven't seen birds before or haven't got experience of bird watching and that first moment that you see like where they're like, oh, oh, I've never like that lives here. Like wow, oh my gosh, like amazing. Sort of you know passing that feeling on is really cool as well.
1: Not everyone finds birds interesting. I've I've, I've accepted that, <laughs> but everybody loves to feel relaxed. Everybody loves to be around greenery is scientifically proven. You know to improve your mental well-being. So um, yeah, it's it's just about giving our community the confidence, the skills to come to a flock together walk get out there, but then go away with your friends to to a green space or on your own to a green space. Um, And yeah, if we can achieve that, then I think we're successful in what we've tried to do.
2: So now we're sort of in between the river and the canal, which is a really cool place to be. This part of the river path is below the highest flood defense point that you need to have now. So actually this path floods quite often. Um, so they obviously need to raise the defenses along here because it's um it's outdated as the as we uh, approach you know one degree and two degree and we notice the sea levels rising the flood defenses obviously have to match that yeah in terms of climate change and as a birder i'm sure you notice the seasonal changes as well like how actually we're starting to see things migrating here earlier and leaving earlier or staying longer or coming too early. There's so many changes because of the factors that are influencing the way in which our wildlife is reacting to the, the seasonal differences year on year.
1: We also saw like a big, a big struggle for a lot of garden birds this year as well because the later summer uh, meant that the caterpillars were emerging slightly later as well. So when the blue tits, for example, were nesting, They were just slightly early and um, a lot of them didn't make it and the numbers were way down this year. And this is definitely, definitely linked to the climate change that we're seeing around us, you know. So we've just uh, walked under a bridge... Um, Coming to the final part of the walk, there's a cormorant flying overhead, some gorgeous willow trees. Honestly, I can't believe that we're in the middle of East London. I actually cannot believe it. Um, It's absolutely gorgeous and um, yeah, I'll definitely be returning to do this walk again. The nature is here, the wildlife is here, the green space is here. It just depends on whether you're looking for it, whether you can see it. Um, and whether you have the confidence to get up and and, and take up space there. You have been listening to a podcast from The Line. This episode was produced by Reduce Listening with thanks to Bloomberg Philanthropies.
0: Thanks for listening to Walking and Talking. You can find out more about The Line on our website, www.the-line.org and by following us on social media under the handle at The Line London.